Welcome, everybody, once again to another episode of the Three Point Threat Podcast. I am your host, Jared Woodcox. Really excited to have you guys back on the show once again. Um, obviously, there was a, quite a bit of Utah Jazz news this week. We'll talk about that. Lots of good stuff going on. Uh, but first and foremost, I want to let you guys all know that the uh, brand new, the Three Point Threat Twitter account is now up and running. I hope that you'll all give it a follow. Um, the handle is at 3P Threat Podcast. Um, it's just getting up and running. would love to have you guys follow and, and get some momentum going there. Um, I'm really excited about the three points I have to discuss today. Uh, you know, For point number one, I'm actually going to be having a special guest join me over the phone. His name is Derek Kramer. He's the editor-in-chief of iPacers.com, which is an Indiana Pacers blog. And him and I are going to talk a little bit about the uh, Gordon Hayward and Paul George situations. Obviously, they're a little bit different, but want to talk about how those compare and contrast and really go into the dilemma that small market teams are facing as far as keeping their stars and winning championships. Wanted to, to get a little bit of a you know outside the Utah Jazz perspective on that, so I think you'll enjoy the conversation that we have. Uh, point number two, going to talk about Utah's newest signings. Obviously, they've signed three players recently, uh, Tabo Cephalosha, Jonas Jurebko, and Ekpe Yudo. Want to talk about those three and what they bring to the team, what they mean. And then for point number three, um, I want to talk about what has to happen for the Jazz to make the playoffs. I mean, I know that we're kind of trying to figure out what the aftermath of Gordon Hayward is going to be like. So I want to talk about, you know, what do they got to do to make the playoffs? What do they have to do to still stay as competitive as we hope they do? So with that being said, I think you're going to love the show today. Let's jump right into point number one, where I will welcome Derek Kramer of iPacers.com. Point one. All right, welcome everybody. Excited now to have uh, Derek Kramer joining me on the show. He is the editor-in-chief of iPacers.com. We wanted to talk a little bit today. Obviously, uh, they're not exactly the same situation, uh, but both the Indiana Pacers and the Utah Jazz lost their star players this offseason. So wanted to, to chat with Derek a little bit about that, talk about how you know these two small market teams and others can move forward. So hey, Derek, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Looking forward to having you. So, you know, it's it's been a bit of a rough summer for our team so far, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, no kidding. It's kind <laughs> of uh, like become a rite of passage for a small market team to lose a star, yeah. it seems like. Yeah, that's definitely true. It feels, you know, there's kind of been that sentiment that these uh, these small market teams are kind of like the ones that develop the talent for the big market teams, and it gets it gets a little frustrating. So that's that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, you know, first and foremost, Derek, I wanted to ask you, when you look at a team like the Pacers or the Jazz, when they lose a player of this caliber, you know, of the caliber of Paul George or Gordon Hayward, how does a team react or respond to that? How do they get back on their feet and really move forward from there? I mean, that's so, it's so hard. You can't, obviously you can't immediately expect to bounce right back. Uh, I think the the Pacers are taking the approach of instead of kind of the tank aspect and trying to get high draft picks because they know as a small market team, nobody's going to come to watch that. And Herb Simon's an old owner. He doesn't have time for the process. Yeah. So they're going for the, we want to compete right now as best we can. They are going young at least, but yeah, they're signing veterans to short term deals, keeping cap space open. It's the key for them on what, will they do with that cap space in the future yeah definitely i think you bring up a good point too that you know some of these these bigger market teams they can afford to you know really tank because they're still going to drive the attendance whereas some of these smaller teams you know that they just can't afford to do that that's just the the business side of it you know and uh-huh. um, i agree i think that you know both teams are looking to, to more than anything not really rebuild rebuild uh but retool 
Um, you know, obviously the Pacers, I feel like they made it clear to, to Paul George that they wanted to, to still build a title contender around him. Um, and, and it's just unfortunate for both teams because, you know, they, they build and they plan so much with these guys being there. And then when they leave, like you said, there, there's no easy fix. So I think that's definitely difficult. I, I like the idea of adding some veterans to keep you competitive. And I think both teams are going to kind of use this year to evaluate who's going to be the best part of their future and, and then go from there. Definitely agree. I mean, it's clear like the from the fan aspect, you kind of just put your whole hopes into the the Miles Turner for the Pacers or the Donovan Mitchell who's killing it in the summer league if you're the Jazz and Rudy Gobert. You just got to hold on to that. Just hold on to that hope that those guys are going to turn into superstars in the future. And then stay. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's, it's hard for the team, but it really is hard for the fans too. I mean, you and I know this. I mean, we invest so much emotionally in the team. And I personally, I, I hate the Jersey burning. I don't like going that far by any means, but you can understand just how charged and emotional people get about it. And, and I agree. I think, how do you cope with it as a fan? I mean, you really just look forward to the, the new guys, see who's going to be the next one to step up. Um, in some ways, I mean, you'd love for Paul George to stay. You'd love for Gordon Hayward to stay and you know, you'd be better with them, but it's also kind of fun to say, you know, we've kind of seen where we could go with these guys Let's see now we're turning a new chapter. Who's going to be the next guy to step up? So there's some, a little tiny bit of silver lining to it, I guess. Yeah, I feel like that's the only way you can look at it as a fan. Otherwise, you're just going to drive yourself mad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so next thing I want to talk about, you know, you know, in that recent Sports Illustrated piece, um, you know, Paul George kind of mentioned that he didn't think that Indiana could build a contender around him. Likewise, you know, Gordon Hayward said that he, his main focus to go to Boston was to win a championship. And I guess I'd ask, you know, what do you think these smaller market teams, what do they need to do to put themselves in a better position to win a championship? Um, with the players leaving, is it more the organization's fault? Is it more the players, just the players' preference? Or what do you think can be a solution to this from a, from an organization standpoint? And, yeah, there's no easy answer. I mean, the, it's like the only reason that the Cavaliers are in contention is that LeBron James was born nearby. Yeah. I mean, is that what we have to hope for? Is that somebody that's the next greatest player in the world is just going to be born in Utah or born in Indiana. Seriously. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, there's no easy fix. You just kind of have to hope that you pick the right guy. I mean, maybe it's starting to turn like, uh, Damian Lillard, I think tweeted something about like, if I don't want to ring, I'm still going to stay in Portland. Something along those lines. Yeah. And you know, it's a good, Kumpo. uh, with the loyalty, something about loyalty in his tweets from the, they were talking about teams already trying to plan to get him out of Milwaukee and all that. Yeah, I think he said loyalty's in my DNA or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe it's starting to turn. Maybe all the some players will start staying. You never know. Yeah. But yeah, there's not a whole lot that you can do. Just keep trying to do what you make the best moves you can and hope they want to stay. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I feel like in some ways, you know, you look at Paul George and he got to the Pacers right as they were, they were peaking and getting really good. And he was a big part of that. So I can see maybe why the last few years have been frustrating. Uh, I really think, though, that you know if he could have stuck it out, they could have gotten back up there. Um, with the Jazz, I mean, I, I guess I can kind of see where Hayward's coming from, that he went to an easier conference. You know, the Celtics have a good team. Obviously, there's a connection with his coach. But, you know, in both cases, I feel like both teams did just about everything they could. I mean, were there mistakes along the way in some instances? Sure. But I, I really feel like, you know, they did the best they could to surround him with talent. Maybe that is they just got to keep trying to do more. But when it's hard to get people to come there, hard to get people to stay there, you know, it's just a really big challenge um, to face. 
And I mean, I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the, the players are going to go where they want to, and you hope as an organization you can create that where they're at. But not all is going to happen. Um, that kind of reminded me. I wanted to ask you. You know, it just kind of broke today um, that Paul George in his press conference with Oklahoma City was saying how he he feels like he could make it a home there. Um, he could stay beyond the year, even though we all kind of know he's planning to go to LA. What do you make of that, Derek? Uh, I mean, I think I've learned at this point that you can't. Uh, take too much of what Paul George <laughs> says seriously to the press. Yeah. Since uh, he had that two days before his agent asked or to, uh, informed the Pacers that he would not be resigning there, he had the whole "I'm a Pacer, yep. this is my team," all that stuff. And then two days later, it's a whole different thing. So, I mean, Paul George isn't going to say anything that's going to make the Oklahoma City fans not embrace him or not buy his shoes or yeah, all that <laughs> stuff. So, I mean, I mean, honestly, it'd be, I think Pacer fans would dislike him even more if he ended up staying in Oklahoma City. Yeah, definitely, because I mean, so, I think, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if he if he is seriously truthful about that, it doesn't help his case for uh, people here, but he's going to say what he has to do. So his time in Oklahoma City isn't miserable, but I, I think everybody knows where he's going to end up. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and it, it, that just the reason, or the fact that he'd say that was kind of interesting to me, because... I don't know if you saw that. I think it was uh, Scott Agnes tweeted out that you know the Pacers were really looking looking hard into a Gordon Hayward Paul George pairing in Indiana. Um, uh-huh. Obviously, that wouldn't help the Jazz any. But you know, as far as I think they were really serious about doing what they said they would and make you know Indiana as best as they could for Paul George. And so, if he does stay in Oklahoma City, it's kind of a slap to face to his belief in them. He, I, obviously, you know that, but just kind of interesting things to think about there. Um, but anyway. yeah, that was in- Another one of the things he said about the he felt a rebuild coming when during that same thing where he said I'm a pacer I'm here like he gave like was praising Kevin Pritchard like we're on the same page yeah. he likes the same guys that I like and then just completely oh you know, he felt a rebuild coming all of a sudden so yeah. he just can't trust anything he's gonna say to the press so yeah. I wouldn't take anything too seriously <laughs> I agree there. And, you know, just kind of concluding this part of our conversation, you know, I think the organizations, they're going to do everything they can do. I mean, I feel like the Jazz, Pacers, others have done everything that they can do. Um, but really their window is just so small because as soon as a small market team starts struggling and they can't get anybody else in there to, to bring them help, then these really good players are going to start looking at their her career and their small window and start looking elsewhere. So it gets tough. Um, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it's interesting with Hayward too, because they had finally like really reached the point where after years and years, they kept getting up there and they've got over 50 wins and then yeah. he decides to leave. It's yeah, it's a, it's tough, obviously. Yeah. I think that's why jazz fans are mostly mad. It's not so much that he left, you know, it's how he handled it, which we'll talk about in a bit, but also, yeah, like uh-huh. you say, I mean, at least with Paul George, he had taken him to the playoffs so many times. He'd kind of, you know, done his due diligence there in a way. Uh, and, yeah, Hayward gets there one year and then, and then I mean, second year for, from his first year. But um, gets there for, for real the first time and then bounces. It was just kind of a bad look, I feel like, um, in the eyes of Jazz fans. But going off yeah. that, I mean, do you think there's anything the league should do to help these smaller market teams? Is there anything they can do or, or is it just kind of the way it is? Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot they can do. I mean, the NFL has the franchise tag rule, but there's no way that the Players Association is ever going to agree to something like that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's just about it. I don't think there's anything you can do. Yeah. It's just the players are going to go where they want to go. They should be able to have that choice. Yeah. You just hope that the, the situation doesn't end as badly as either of these 
teams did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think you're right on there. I've seen a few kind of outlandish suggestions on Twitter, like, you know, finding a way to give small market teams better lottery odds and things like that. And even that, I don't know how you do it. And even if you do, I don't think that's really the problem. I mean, our teams are drafting well. I mean, you look at Paul George, you look at Miles right. Turner, you look at Gordon Hayward. It's not that they're not drafting talent, it's that they're not keeping talent. So I don't think that really helps. You know, maybe you look yeah. at some sort of incentive that if a team loses a max player, maybe they have more, I don't know, spending power. But how do you make that fair? There's really no way to measure that. So I, I agree. Right. There's not a ton you can do. Yeah. And they're trying that designated player extension, but no one's signed one yet. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't worked well. So, yeah, it hasn't worked at all with anybody. Yeah. Of course, Hayward and George both didn't make the All-NBA team. Maybe that's something they can change. Maybe just loosen the grips on... That if yeah. the team wants to give that extension to a player, why shouldn't they be able to? That's a good point. I'm sure if the if the Pacers were able to give that extension to George and he wanted it, I'm sure both sides would have been fine with that. Yeah, that's true because I mean that's a pretty tough condition to qualify for that extension. There's so many good players in the NBA now that it's still gonna you know if a like a player on the cusp like um, Hayward or George if they miss out you know they're still gonna really hurt a franchise if they leave like they did. I, I like that idea. I think that's a good idea. It'd be yeah, interesting to know. Oh, sorry. I just say it'd be interesting to know if that would have been enough to get either of them to stay if they had qualified for All NBA. That is true. Yeah, like with George, like he had that uh, the broken leg season that counted against him. Like if you, you take go. that out, he he would have qualified. Yep. So it's interesting to think about maybe if that's just something they can loosen and make it at least more likely for a star to be eligible. But I mean, it's kind of like you're protecting those small market teams from spending all that money like it seemed like the kings just didn't want to give all that money to boogie yeah that makes sense and then we've kind of touched on this a little bit already but i kind of want your thoughts on on the handling of both situations i mean obviously in some ways they were both controversial um gordon hayward how he he kind of made his decision but didn't or it was reported that he made his decision and then he ended up making it six hours later um officially and then obviously how paul george kind of made the pacers lose all their leverage by being pretty blunt that he wanted to go to la I guess looking at all that, what would have been for you a better or an ideal situation uh, for both of them to handle their their decision, I guess? I mean, ideally for George, I think that, I mean, that's the whole thing. If if he's helping on the Lakers, if he could have just not let that be known to everybody in the world. Yeah. If he could have just said what he's saying now in Oklahoma City, that I'm open to the possibility of re-signing here or wherever it may be, if things go well. I think the Pacers could have done much better, at least gotten some draft picks or something. Definitely. I mean, I'm not, considering all the circumstances, they did okay. I would have preferred they waited to see what Boston would have offered in yeah. this situation if they got Hayward, but yep. it is what it is. Obviously, it's nowhere close to that ideal, but yeah, with Hayward, yeah, the kind of... That Players' Tribune thing, once it came out, he's kind of trying to save face, it seemed like, and instead just kind of breaks the Jazz fans' hearts twice. <laughs> yeah. Like, he'd give, a, he'd give them a little hope, and then, nope, he's still just leaving for the Celtics, so the reports were right the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think you hit it on the head. I mean, if Paul George would have been more private about his desire to go to L.A., and like you said, they could have traded him for more value, I think it would have been a lot more forgivable. Um, yeah. I mean, they didn't obviously get great pieces, and I mean, Oladipo and Sabonis aren't going to replace Paul George. We all know that, but at least it's a building yeah. block. It's somewhere to start. Um, whereas, I mean, the Jazz they lost out entirely. 
So even though Paul George could have handled it better, just me personally, I, I like his way just a tiny bit better only because the Pacers did get something in return. You know, if the Celtics could have yep. arranged a sign-in trade and the Jazz would have got, like, Jay Crowder, I would have been a lot more content with the situation, but it just was tough how it turned out, I guess you could say. Yeah, there's... Yeah, and, and both situations suck, but at least the Pacers got something to restart with. I guess the other thing with George would have been the timing. Yeah. Just because he waited a week before the draft to decide all that, which changed all the Pacers' offseason plans. Yeah, just kind of set the set the train off the rails right then and there. Um, yep. But anyway, so wrapping up, last thing I want to see, you know, um, I don't know if you saw it or not, but last week CBS Sports released kind of their win projections for each team. Um, they had the Jazz right around 38, they had the Pacers right around 34. Uh, honestly, both of those do seem a little low to me. Uh, but what are your predictions, Eric? What are your predictions not only for, um, for Gordon Hayward and, and Paul George, but also for their former teams? What do you think is going to happen this next year? Uh, well, 34 wins, uh, I'm not super into predicting, but I think if, if the way, with the way the players are, that's probably fairly accurate. The East is so weak that yeah. right now that you never know. Yeah. But I think that if the if Miles Turner explodes with his increased opportunity and like becomes an all-star player, they could easily sneak into the playoffs. Yeah. Just yeah. with how bad the East is, if Oladipo is what Kevin Pritchard hopes he becomes as a number two guy, that kind of thing, sure, they can make the playoffs this year. I don't see why not. Yeah. The Jazz, I'm not, uh, I'm not much of an expert in other teams, but... I mean, if Mitchell explodes and competes for, like, the rookie of the year with this great rookie class, I could see them exceeding that 38 with Gobert and everybody else that's still there. I really like Rubio. I wish, like, his fit with the, with last year's team would have been great, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. If they could have kept it going. But they, I saw they waved DL today. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of bummed about that. I mean, I get it from a cap space situation, but kind of bummed by it, but... Yeah, I'd agree with you. I think the Pacers, like you say, just because the East is weak, I think they have a good shot. I mean, really, in the East, outside of the top five or so seeds, it really is a mystery from there. Because you have a lot of teams that aren't great, but that are going to be about equal. So I could see them being, you know, just outside, or maybe they sneak in. Um, yeah, it's just whoever's going to find that chemistry yeah. or get hot at the right time, all that stuff, stay yeah. healthy. yeah. I would argue that, you know, I really like the, the Corey Joseph signing for the Pacers. I think he's a solid addition. I, I actually like Darren Carlson, too, for what it's worth. Um, obviously, their starting lineup won't be nearly as good, um, but I think you could argue that their bench might even be better than last year. Um, I, just an, an argument. To be frank, my biggest worry about the Pacers is Coach McMillan, <laughs> how he can get uh, the yeah. team to be better. Yeah, I'm, I'm sincerely worried about the McMillan. Like, last year we had... He wanted Miles Turner to distribute more, which will always baffle me. It felt like it kind of wrecked his confidence. Yeah. The shooting numbers like went down in the tank after the All-Star break. Yeah. So yeah, that's my biggest concern, too, is McMillan. Yeah. So <laughs> he does seem to be in good hands, though, with Snyder. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they'll be able to navigate well there. I mean, just the West is so scary. I think if the Jazz are in the East, they'd still have a very good shot of making it. Uh, I still think yeah. they can make the playoffs in the West. Um, it's going to be tough, but... I like what they're doing as far as staying competitive and then looking to kind of evaluate this year and plan for the future a little bit without totally tanking like we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, but. yeah they, they definitely kind of got stuck in the scenario where they were planning, obviously, to keep Hayward and yeah. keep winning. So, yeah, the same situation where they didn't have a lot of time to plan for the alternative. Yep, definitely. 
Cool. Well, I think that that's a good place for us to stop, Derek. You know, I really appreciate you joining the show today. Um, love your insight and your input. Um, for all the fans listening out there, make sure you're following iPacers on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at iPacersBlog. Um, you know, especially if you're a Pacers fan, you need to be following. But really, if you're a fan at all of the NBA, uh, Derek and his crew do a great job. They have tons of great content. So, so make sure you're following them so you don't miss out on any of that. Derek, thanks again so much for joining the show. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Hope to have you again another time sometime. Point two. One last time, I want to really thank Derek Kramer for joining me on the show, and I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation that he and I had for point number one. Now for point number two, I really want to talk about the Jazz's recent signings. Um, obviously, they just added uh, Tabo Cephalosha, Jonas Jerebko, and Ekpe Yudo. Uh, I want to talk about all three of them and really what I think they bring to the team, uh, beginning with Cephalosha. You know, he's, he's a great defender, and I love that about him. Uh, last season, he was in the top five in defensive box plus minus. Uh, top five in the league in steal percentage. Um, he's likely going to come off the bench, which is fine. I, I really like the fact that we're going to have extra bodies all throughout the game that we can throw on opponents' best players. Um, you know, by no means are the Jazz the Warriors. I'm not saying that, but it kind of reminds me of in 2015 when the Warriors um, beat the Cavs. I feel like a big reason why they had that success against LeBron was just they had so many bodies they were able to throw at him, so many good defenders they could kind of rotate all game and wear him out. And I feel like a guy like Cephalosha is another one of those kind of guys for the Jazz. I mean, it just gives him another good defender they can throw at opposing teams' best players throughout the game and really, uh, you know, wear them out. Um, the, the thing about the Jazz, you know, I was kind of hoping with the Cephalosha signing that they would get some more offense. Uh, really, it looks like they're going all in on defense. I mean, we, we know that the Jazz defense is going to be pretty scary next year for opponents. Uh, they might not score enough, but, you know, teams are going to have a hard time scoring on them as well. I would expect a lot of games in the 80s, uh, which personally is fine with me. I'm kind of an old school guy as far as I love the hard-nosed defense. I love kind of the grinded out games a lot more, in my opinion, than the flashy running gun, just, just chucking up threes. So I'm excited to see the Jazz in that regard. Um, I, I still am a little scared about their offense. You know, there's that mantra that defense wins championships. I do still think that rings true to an extent. Um, but in a lot of ways, you know, especially in the finals this past season, it, it didn't really back that up. I mean, you have two teams that, you know, they're not bad defensive teams, but more than anything, they're going flat-out shootout mode, um, you know, scoring in the 130s, 140s. And really, the NBA has come a lot more about firepower than about gutsy defense. And I hope the Jazz can kind of be the exception to the rule. Um, I think we know that even if they have the best defense in the league, they're not really going to have the offense to win a championship. But still, their lockdown defense is going to be fun. They're going to be the kind of team that, you know, opponents, they don't want to face them because they know they're going to get beat up 48 minutes. I think Cephalosha does, does a great job with that. And I'll admit to you, you know, I would have liked to see the Jazz add some more offense than what Cephalosha brings. Um, but a bit of a tangent here, a bit of a side note. You know, I've seen some folks on Twitter really criticize Dennis Lindsay lately. Um, I think that's really the minority of Jazz fans. But but just to have to say, you know, he's been dealt a, a really impossible hand. Um, Hayward leaving is, has been obviously an impossible void to fill completely. And I don't think that him leaving blindsided Lindsay. I think he had plans both for with Hayward staying and with him going. Obviously, the way things kind of shook out kind of altered those plans. The free agent market was largely dried up. You know, Lindsay wasn't left with a ton that he could do. And I mean, obviously, the ideal path would be, okay, we lose Gordon Hayward. Let's instantly replace him with somebody that's equally talented. But that's, that's not really an option. That opportunity didn't exist. 
And even if that opportunity did exist, you know, fans have to remember that, you know, Dennis Lindsay can't just go to a shelf and pick whatever player he wants. That, that's not how it works. I mean, they're called free agents because they're free to pick the team they want to join. You know, he can't just trade for the best player because, you know, it takes two teams to tango, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is, is I think he's done a good job for what he's been dealt. I think this, these moves, you know, Cephalosha, all the other moves have been pretty savvy, all things considered. I think the damage control has been pretty pretty good. And let's get one thing straight real fast. I mean, with or without Hayward, the Jazz almost certainly weren't going to be a championship team this upcoming year. I mean, losing Gordon sets us back, um, and that still has to be the goal long term. But I, I love what the Jazz have done. You know, they're adding these guys that help keep us competitive. They're all on affordable, you know, two-year deals. Uh, once those deals are up, we can really reevaluate big time and see, you know, what what the next step is going to be. You know, I've talked a lot about this being an evaluating year, and, and I think we, we got to kind of figure out who's going to fit with our long-term plans, who's going to stay on the roster. And guys like Cephalosha and, and Drebko and Udo, you know, they're just nice veteran depth glue guys that they're going to, they're not going to hurt us on the court. They're not going to hurt us in our wallet. Um, it really helps us retool instead of rebuild or, or kind of reload. I, I like to think of it that way. It's going to give the Jazz big flexibility down the road. So even though we didn't get our flashy offensive player that some that some fans were hoping for, I, I really still think that there's no reason to criticize Lindsey. He's done a great job of putting some pieces in place that are going to help us in the long term. So anyway, back to Cephalosha. Enough of that little tangent. Just had, had to get that off my chest. Like I said, he's an excellent defender. He brings toughness, experience. I think he brings some ferocity to the Jazz, you know. He's, he's a tough guy. He's a fiery guy. Um, I think that's going to really help as far as giving us some hard-nosed defense there. Um, he is just an average three-point shooter. He's right around 35% for his career. His best years from deep came in Oklahoma City where he was upwards of 40. Um, he's never averaged double-figure scoring before, uh, but he still brings good things. I mean, obviously the defense. I love his mentality. Um, the, the bad thing there, obviously, is that he's not going to really bring the offense that we need. Um, he's a small forward for the most part. He can guard the perimeter. He may be able to play some of the power forward against really small lineups, but not going to count on it much. But overall, the Jazz, they just need him to be an excellent defender. They need him to hit open shots and really bring toughness to that second unit. He's going to be a cool mentor, I think, especially defensively for guys like Exum and for Donovan Mitchell that have the tools to be great defenders. They're now going to be able to learn from a guy who's already an established and a great defender um, in Tabo Cephalosha. So the next, the next guy I want to talk about, obviously, is Jonas Jurebko. And, and I'll be honest, this one surprised me a little bit. I feel like he does fill a stretch four need quite well. Um, he does have a lot of versatility. He brings energy and hustle. And, and you know, shortly after he was picked up by the Jazz, um, you know, he tweeted a picture out. I don't know if you guys saw it on Twitter or not, but he tweeted a picture of a framed and autographed Andre Karolinko jersey, which I thought was really cool. You know, it shows he's excited about joining the Jazz. And especially at a time like this, in light of Gordon Hayward leaving, it's nice to see a player who's excited, you know, and showing some love to Utah. I think that's really great. Um, most recently, a positive thing I've seen about Jarebko, you know, it came in Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals. I truly think he deserves a lot of the credit for Boston winning that game. Uh, he came out with a ton of energy. I mean, he hadn't played a ton before that. Uh, he was really fired up. He got the whole team going. He wasn't afraid to get in, in some guys' faces on Cleveland. Um, you know, he went 4 of 4 from the field. He went 2 of 2 from deep. Uh, he was a plus 22 for the game, and it was a great look for him. I just love that passion, that energy that he brought. I mean, I don't think that's the kind of Drebko we're going to get every night as far as his stat line, uh, but as far as his energy and his little bit of testiness, that's exactly the kind of Drebko that the Jazz needs. So I hope that we get that and we can see that. It's going to be great to have him be kind of that energy guy off the bench as well. 
And I know that last year, you know, the Jazz were supposed to have one of the best benches in the year in the league last year. Um, sometimes they were a little bit disappointing. I think that largely had to do with injuries. I mean, obviously we're changing our 10-man rotation all the time. But I think having these guys, I mean, Cephalosha, Drebko, uh, to some extent Udo, I think that's going to give us a bench that, you know, at the very least is experienced. It's feisty. They're going to bring mental toughness. And I really like that. I mean, it would be better if we could have that, you know, that hard-nosed defensive second unit that comes in and just kind of keeps opponents locked down while our starters rest and our starters can come in and score a ton. Uh, unfortunately, even the starters don't have a ton of offense. But still, I, I love the bench. I love how it looks as far as with that defensive mentality. And I think Drebko is going to help with that, help us have a strong bench in that regard. You know, for his career, um, talking about his offense a little bit, he, he's right around 35% from deep as well, which, which isn't ideal. Um, but for the most part, he got better in Boston. He was more he was more around 40% for most of his time there. And the Jazz are going to need that from him. They're going to need him to be close to a 40% three-point shooter um, if he's really going to be their stretch for and really live up to that expectation. So even though his points per game aren't much to write home about either, you know, I think he gives you better offense than Cephalosha, which is good. Um, not quite the same amount of defense, but I still love him as a spark and energy guy. He's going to have a lot to prove, like I said, and I think he'll be a, a decent pickup for the Jazz. Um, last of all, Udo, um, you know, he... Wasn't in the league the past couple years. He's also a good defender. He's a good rim protector. He's a good rebounder. He played really well in the Euro League these past two years, so I hope that's a sign that he can bounce back. You know, hopefully he's got his confidence up. Obviously, the NBA is a much tougher league than that. More than anything, I see him taking Jeff with these minutes. You know, he's going to provide some good rim protection. I think Favors is going to be doing a lot of the backup center behind Gobert still. But now, um, between Gobert, Favors, and Udo, you know, you always have a good rim protector on the floor at all times. The whole game, you have somebody protecting the rim. Whereas, you know, as much as Jeff Withy did, you know, he wasn't bad by any means. Um, but he just wasn't nearly the rim protector that, that Gobert was. And neither will be Udo, but I think he is an upgrade in that regard. We're always going to have somebody on the floor that can help protect that rim. So that's going to be great for when our, our starters are resting. Um, overall, I would give these three pickups uh, a B-, minus. I guess I'd say. Um, you know, it's not to say that they're bad pickups by any mean. They're just not guys that are going to push the needle a ton. But I do love that they're helping the Jazz depth. They're helping the Jazz stay competitive. You know, all three guys have some traits that I really like. And what I, what I like the most is their contracts. I mean, they're all two-year deals. They're all relatively affordable. You know, the length of that is great. Um, so from a financial standpoint, especially in today's NBA, I mean, they're pretty cheap. I mean, Cephalosha was two-year $10.5 million. Jarebko, two-year $8.2 million. And, and Udo was uh, two-year $6.5 million, I believe. And just great to see that. I mean, great to see that the Jazz have some flexibility in that regard. I think this is more example of Lindsey being thrifty, uh, being crafty, having kind of a bit of a stopgap filling the void left by Hayward. But more than anything, it's positioning us to be in a great spot in the not-so-distant future. So that's my thoughts on those three guys. Excited to see what they do in Jazz uniforms. Excited to see what they do with this new opportunity. I don't think they're amazing signings, but they're they're good. They're, they're not bad. They're, they're definitely good signings. So... With, uh, with that being said, let's move on now to point number three, what the Jazz have to do to make the playoffs next year. Point three. All right, for the third and final point, you know, obviously the Jazz last year, they were a 51-win team, made it into the postseason. Um, it's looking like that's going to be a much harder task this year. Um, but I do think the Jazz have a better shot than a lot of people are giving them. I want to talk about, you know, a few things the Jazz have to do to make the playoffs this upcoming year. And first and foremost, as we all know, they have to stay healthy. I mean, if we're healthy this last year, we're very likely a 60-win team. 
Um, you know, we're not going to be a 60 win team without Hayward. There's no way, even if we're perfectly healthy. Uh, but it takes more than just one guy. It takes more than just Hayward for us to be a good team. And we still have tons of talent on this team, honestly. Um, really, the guys that remain just need to, they need to stay on the floor. They need to stay healthy. They have to build a rhythm. We can't be having a lineup carousel that changes every single night, kind of like it did last year. Uh, Favors is going to have to be close to 100% back. You know, Hood has to be able to stay on the floor. I felt like he just never got into a rhythm last year. So that's the biggest thing. You know, we got to be healthy. Um, the second thing, and maybe this sounds a little bit dumb, but we got to have some luck. And what I mean by that is we have a really small margin of error right now. And I think that some of the teams that, you know, they kind of retooled really well this offseason, like uh, like the, the Timberwolves and the Nuggets, a lot of people kind of think that those two are, are ones that are going to surpass the Jazz. And maybe they will. I'm not saying that they won't necessarily. Um, but for the Jazz to make the playoffs, I think they need those kind of teams to underperform. You know, maybe they're going to need them to have bad chemistry issues or maybe they need to have them to have, need them to have injury issues. Um, one way or another, the Jazz are going to have to get a little bit lucky as far as what other teams do in the conference. You know, I think Minnesota, for example, had a tremendous offseason, you know, by adding Jimmy Butler, Jeff Teague, uh, Jamal Crawford, Taj Gibson. They're going to be good. Um, but I do think spacing is going to be an issue for them. You know, they might have trouble getting good shots up. And there's some people that have Minnesota, you know, cracking into the top five in the West. And maybe they will. But I think that we need to remember that they were 13th in the conference last year. And I know Wiggins and Towns are good players. They're going to keep improving. Um, I know that Butler, he's an all-star. But remember, again, that, you know, he was on a team last year that was just an eight seed. And obviously now, you know, Wiggins, Towns, Butler combining, they're all going to have better supporting casts. Um, Minnesota's going to be a good team. Don't don't misunderstand me there. But I'm just saying, you know, I don't think they added anybody per se that was on a powerhouse team last year. I think they're going to have a lot of kinks to work out still. And I think that this year could still take quite a bit of adjustment. And I still think the Jazz could surpass them. Uh, we'll see how it's going to work out between their vets and their young guns. Uh, but I think the Jazz have to kind of hope and count that they can pass the Timberwolves if they want to make the playoffs. Um, the Nuggets, you know, they added Paul Millsap. And I think he's going to be great alongside uh, Nikola Jokic. Um, but really the Nuggets right now have kind of a log jam of power forward. I'm still not really sold on their guards. Um, I think Denver could be a team that underperforms and that also helps the Jazz facilitate, you know, getting a playoff spot. Um, you know, the Grizzlies and Clippers, I think, will both slide as well. Uh, with Zach Randolph gone, Marcus Gasol is aging. Uh, the Clippers, you know, they lose Chris Paul and J.J. Redick. And really, you know, you look at those teams and those are the ones I think that the Jazz are going to be in the same realm with. You know, with the with the Timberwolves and with the uh, Nuggets and the Grizzlies and the Clippers, so the Jazz need a little bit of luck, and that those teams slide, those teams struggle a little bit. They're going to need that to make the playoffs, I think, in my mind. Then um, next thing the Jazz are going to need to make the playoffs is guys that didn't step up last year are absolutely going to have to step up this year. So, I mean, quite a few people had the Jazz pinned as a 50-win team going to 2016-17. In reality. But most of the people that thought that, that thought the Jazz would be a 50-win team, they thought that would happen because the whole Jazz core as a whole would improve. Um, when really, the main reason why the Jazz were a 50-win team was because Gordon Hayward, Rudy Gobert, and in some ways Joe Ingles, they all improved you know, dramatically. They improved a lot more than people even expected. Uh, but the rest of the team, you know, um, Derek Favors, uh, Rodney Hood, uh, Dante Exum, Trey Lyles, who's gone now, you know, none of them really improved that much, if at all. Um, so... If you kind of go back to that equation from before last year where we thought, well, if all those guys improve, the Jazz can be a 50-win team. Well, we became a 50-win team without a lot of those guys improving. So I think if now those guys this year can turn the corner and really improve where they didn't last year, I think we can still be a playoff team. So, I mean, I know that's a lot to ask. 
Um, we got to have Hood be a great and reliable offensive player. Really, I think Faber should be our first or second leading scorer. We need that out of him. Um, there's Ricky Rubio, who's brand new with the Jazz, but I mean, you could say he needs to improve and that he needs to have a little bit of a career revamp with the Jazz. Um, so really, that's what's got to happen. I mean, with Hayward gone, the only chance they have of making the playoffs is that they have more internal improvement from the rest of the guys on the roster. Um, last of all, if the Jazz are going to make the playoffs... You know, they really have to take care of business against Eastern Conference opponents, and they really have to take care of business at, the, at their home court. Um, I really feel like last year, obviously, there were a few slip-ups. There's always going to be. But for the most part, the Jazz did a good job of beating teams that, you know, they quote-unquote should beat, um, that you would expect them to beat. Uh, of course, we all know the trouble came against kind of those middle-of-the-pack teams, you know, the Thunder, the Clippers, the Grizzlies, the Celtics, uh, the Raptors, for example, are teams the Jazz struggled with. Uh, but for the most part, the Jazz didn't drop a ton of the a ton of those games, you know, to like the the bottom feeders. Um, they, they won a lot of the games that you would think that they would win, and they have to do that again this year. I mean, they got to win the games against teams like Atlanta, like New York, Brooklyn, and the low west teams like the Lakers, the Suns, the Kings. They got to beat those guys. They got to take care of business and really rack up their wins there. And then, you know, taking care of home court, we all know that Vivint Arena isn't a, an easy place to play, and the Jazz have to take full advantage of that. You know, they have to leverage that. Um, scoring is going to be hard because of the, the defense that the Jazz are going to have. So, you know, playing at a high altitude with a crazy crowd, they really have to capitalize on that. There were some tweets I saw about, you know, with the changes to the timeouts, how there's going to be less timeouts and longer stretches of play. It's actually going to favor the Jazz and other teams that play at high altitudes because they're going to be able to burn out their opponents more. It's kind of an interesting concept. But the Jazz need to do that. You know, I think maybe that's a reason why they're really looking at all these defensive players is because they want to be able to defend home court to the point where, you know, you're getting to the third and the fourth quarter and you're just wearing these opposing teams down. They're not able to keep up anymore. And so that's that's going to be a big deal. I think the Jazz will probably play a little bit faster with uh, Rubio running the point. Um, with Donovan Mitchell in action, obviously Dante is fast too. Those guys can have some great fast breaks. So they got to you know take advantage of that, burn their opponents out, and just find a way to play very well at home. They need to steal quite a few games in Salt Lake City that people would think, oh, they're not going to win this one. So not only take care of business against the Eastern Conference team that they should beat, uh, but also steal some ones at home that maybe you think they wouldn't. Those are kind of their main points um, that they're going to need to do if they're going to make the playoffs next year. So that's going to wrap it up for this show. Uh, thanks again for listening. Once again, I want to thank Derek Kramer of iPacers.com for joining me on point number one. Uh, make sure you are following iPacers on Twitter. Uh, that handle is at iPacersBlog. Hope you're following me as well. My, my handle is just at Jared Woodcox. And one final reminder to make sure you're following as well the brand new three-point threat Twitter account which is at 3P Threat Podcast. I'm excited to have you guys uh, stay along for the ride, and I'll look forward to visiting with you guys next show.